and welcome to the Community Foundation for Northeast Georgia's Nonprofit Academy. I'm Heather Loveridge, Chief Storyteller for the Community Foundation, and we are coming to you from the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel, where we hosted our very first Nonprofit Academy with over 200 attendees. Our Nonprofit Academy is our signature event that kicks off our education tracks for the rest of the year. We've had an amazing and inspiring day packed full of learning and networking for nonprofits. Right now, I'm sitting here with Randy Redner, CEO and President of the Community Foundation. Hey, Randy. Hello, Heather. How you doing? I am great. Good, good. It was a good morning. It was a good morning. Academy, that was rock. Lots of good feedback yep. so far. Very exciting. And we also have four special guests with us today. We have Dr. Audrey Arona, who's the Medical Director for the Gwinnett Newton Rockdale Public Health Department. We have Bill McCargo, community leader and community foundation board member. We have Kim Holland, the director of early learning and school readiness for Gwinnett County Public Schools, and Matt Elder, executive director of Home First Gwinnett. So, Last but not least, that's right. Matt, hang Welcome in there, everybody. Buddy. Yes. Before we jump into our discussion that we're going to have around our four key areas, I want to know for those of you who were here, what did you enjoy at the nonprofit academy? I think that what I most enjoyed was seeing the, the turnout in the room and the amount of leaders that were here that do incredible work day, day in and day out. I mean, 200 plus attendees, 100 plus nonprofits that were all in the room, all to learn about how we can not only continue to do what we're doing, but to push farther, to do more, and to meet a bigger need in our community. And so for me, that was inspiring and empowering to, to just be around so much energy and so much influence about what we need to do to make this community the best that it can be. Thanks, Matt. Kim, I'm going to go over to you. Yeah, the learning was amazing. The presenters did a fantastic job of giving us some information about things that we don't know a lot about um, in our in our day-to-day work. It was also great to meet some new people and make some new acquaintances and friends that I think are going to help all of us move our work forward. So, Kim, what was your favorite session? Because I, I think you said in some of the storytelling, marketing Oh, it was stuff. Heather's, of course. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, boy. Fell into that I'll one, I'll pay you later, I? Kim. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In fact, okay. that was my only disappointment that I didn't get to see oh. Heather's, but uh, I was there thinking she was going to be speaking in that session. But you had a great variety. You had great speakers. It's always encouraging. I've been around the nonprofit world for a long time. And to see so many people show up to try to improve their craft is always inspiring to me. Randy, what was your favorite part? You know, the, the whole day was good. Uh, but, you know, being joined by Milton Little, the CEO of United Way of Greater Atlanta, uh, you know, to hear his personal story uh, of that and then to challenge the 200-plus nonprofit leaders in the room, you know, to be bold and take risk. You know, because that's not typical in the nonprofit sector, right? We are, as he talked about, really not controlled, but, you know, donors want a return on their dollar and da 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 So they, we tend to fall into this bucket and not push the edge, and I thought that was, you know, absolutely great. So that was my favorite part. Ended well. Yes, it did end well, and thanks to the team. I know Christy and everybody worked really hard on putting this together. Awesome. Well, let's wrap up our Nonprofit Academy with a short panel discussion talking about the work the Community Foundation does in four key areas, which are health care, food insecurity, early learning, and homelessness. Um, because here at the Community Foundation, we're not just about helping people give money. We're also wanting to make a difference in our communities. And the reason we invited the four of you is because each one of you is leading the charge in these areas. This is the best we could come up with. These are our subject matter experts. <laughs> Holy Toledo, Heather. I think we're doing pretty good. I think we are. I think, I think we are. Good. 
Awesome. So let's start with Dr. Rona and let's talk about healthcare in Gwinnett um, and tell us just to start off with how big is the issue? The issues are grand. They're, they're very grand. About a year ago, uh, we were able to assemble quite a few key leaders in the community, including uh, hospital CEOs, of course, the health department, Gwinnett Coalition, a lot of FQHCs, uh, school systems, secondary education, of course, elected officials. And we sat around a table and just talked about the health care challenges in our county and looked at the community needs assessment and that kind of thing, and then just kind of brainstormed as to trying to narrow down some priority areas. And the three areas that we, we narrowed it all down to were infectious disease, infant mortality, and, of course, um, behavioral health and substance addiction. So we were able to... Um, do some good work on all those all, all we broke up into teams and the teams actually came together and came up with some really good uh, evidence-based strategies mm-hmm. and all that work is ongoing at this time so dr arona you know on those three can you give us some sound bites on the statistics like the infant mortality you know i'm thinking mm-hmm. gwinnett county i mean you know we're you know one of the richest counties in in, in america and then when the numbers came out i was just yeah, I, I couldn't even shocked. believe it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, let me start with infant mortality. Then um, it is quite shocking um, to know that our rate in Gwinnett County has risen dramatically since 2010, and in the African American population, young babies have two times the infant mortality rate than the white population does. Wow. And in fact, the statistic that's most alarming to everyone, a jaw dropping, is that one in 82 African American babies born in Gwinnett County don't see their first ba- their first birthday. Wow. So a lot of that, of course, is due to involve conditions like premature prematurity and of course sudden infant death syndrome but but that's pretty alarming isn't it yeah i'm sure that most of listeners don't have the, right. the idea of the depth of this right issue. and for and for infectious disease we're we are one of 48 counties in the united not states not that that is a hot subject around the globe at the moment right. you know <laughs> right the whole, exactly yeah, right yeah coronavirus right. and all of that i mean right. we we tend to take our health for granted and we're just kind of rocking along and then boom something like that happens but inside of the work that the team did over the last year you guys were um, pretty targeted at what the work you wanted to do absolutely we've we are one of 48 counties in the united states with the highest rate of new hiv diagnoses and so we're working with the cdc now uh, because there's four counties in georgia that are involved are, are four of those 48 counties are in georgia and 50 percent of these um, new hiv diagnosis rates are in the south so, uh, again, an alarming uh, statistic. Also, our tuberculosis rate in Gwinnett County is very high. It's higher than the state and, you know, the United States in general. And babies born to mothers with hepatitis uh, B is very high in Gwinnett County. We carry more than a quarter of the um, whole caseload for Georgia. So it is uh, important. Our, our target, because the CDC and the federal government is, is, is really putting forth efforts to, with a really great plan that's been, a plan that's been shown to work in other places to end the AIDS epidemic. So we're instituting that. We've got a statewide plan and we're working on county plans right now. And uh, the whole goal is to end the AIDS epidemic with some very good evidence-based practices that's worked in other places. Mm-hmm. And talking about your team, the healthcare team, are there certain um, 
I guess, what, what's your plan from here now? You've got the team assembled, you've discussed these issues, figured out some of the, the stats. What's next? Well, the next thing is just to um, meet again, of course, and implement some of these strategies for, I can give you some examples, like for the infectious disease, uh, what we're doing is promoting universal testing, of course, and then finding patients, patients who are positive and then getting them treated and keeping them into care, which means addressing a lot of their social determinants like homelessness and food insecurity. So even though we're four different working groups here for, for the Community Foundation, it's all it intertwined. All together. Right. It's, it's yep. all in, in, you know, the most exciting thing about this is that, you know, the CDC has been in the background, in the backyard, rather, of, of our counties forever. And yet we've never really had the relationship that we do now with the CDC. And so everybody's really working together in the in the community-based organizations that are all on board with this initiative is incredible. So we really, really do look at a cross-sector collaboration, a huge collective impact model that's that's going to be that's going to work as far as infant mortality you know we are there's a medicaid expansion uh, called um planning for healthy babies that's very underutilized and we're looking at improving that system and then also taking that to the next level and expanding that to high-risk population groups as well and there's a, a really good prenatal care model that's involved centering and then also has built-in support groups and things that we think will help a lot and then also just promoting education about safe sleep practices the mental health substance addiction aspect you know our age-adjusted death rate for opioid you know uh, overdoses and also suicide has increased dramatically over the last four years and you know our resources are limited so we need more crisis stabilization units we need more recovery centers there's a lot to be done in these areas but but it's, it's the first time that we've really had a community of of organizations that are so willing to commit themselves to this these buckets of work and so um we 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 can't fail if that's our approach so for those listening in who are like i want to help what can they do how can they get involved well we always say time talent and treasure or resources right right now on the infectious disease angle we are really trying to press the word spread the word get everybody involved because there's several organizations that we need to hear from and need to engage in in order because the more people know about this the more they're going to want to get involved and the more they can get involved and then of course um talent and and treasures we we're we're going to need you know sustainable dollars in order to really make an impact in our growing community and you know with our increased diversity and the growing numbers in Gwinnett County uh, we've got to get a control. We've got to get control of all this, and then once we do, we'll sustain the practices. So we need all three of those. And Heather, that's also a place where the community foundation can play a role. If people hear as they hear, you know, all of this work being done, go, how do I get connected? That's a job we love to play. Right. And again, just reach out to community foundation cfneg.org, as you taught me. That's right. Uh, you know, or give us a call or send us a text mm-hmm. or whatever it right. takes, and we're glad to connect them up to the teams that are on the ground doing the work. Yes. So speaking of teams doing the work, let's go over and talk to Bill, Bill McCargo. Bill, do we really have thousands of kids going hungry in Gwinnett? Oh, ab- absolutely. We, we heard, I think, where we really started working across lines was about two and a half years ago. The Partnership Gwinnett, which I helped found, had a, the last page of the report says, this is going well, this is going well, et cetera, but we want you to know that the, uh, the level of uh, poverty has doubled in the last few years. And so for those of us who care 
sitting around the room went they just stunned us and so what are the what are the ramifications of that uh, going to be so we have taken a couple of years to study the issue to agree on the statistics uh, the number of people in Gwinnett County that go um, hungry at some point in time in the year is it, it's rated at about if we could fill the arena eight times uh, with people and that's how many to to make put it graphically um, that yeah, we've one, got out to work on. one out for of ten for those that are listening mm-hmm. in from across the country one out of ten yeah. Guanishians that's a hundred thousand people and, and one out, sure of, and one out of eight uh, children yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so that is not permissible in my mind uh, so uh, we have a committee that has worked on this we've identified three areas that we want to focus on to close the hunger gap and uh, now we have reconvened the committees in each of these three sections to really drill down and perfect you know what we're going to do the good news is without even the plan being complete we have support from the county government we went to see them and when you the, say support like uh, financial support yeah, right yeah, money uh, in the budget well Let's we went to this. see them and and the budget was about closed and they opened up when they heard this uh, presentation, and they have shown up with about 150,000 for this year that we're in. Primerica is also showing leadership, and they're in it at, at initially 50,000, up to 100, maybe even more. Um, so, people are responding. People in this county have this thing about we're not going to let that happen here. And so we're just trying to organize that spirit around this issue as well as other associated issues. Wow. So, yeah. So for people who don't realize, there's really isn't, it's in your backyard. It's not, it's here. Yeah, it's all around it's not an issue that's downtown Atlanta or someplace no. else. It's, it's really right here. So same question I asked Dr. Rona, you know, someone says, I can't imagine the thought of any child going hungry. What can they do to help out? Well, very interesting statistic when we first got into this we realized there are 42 food banks in this county so support those food banks and uh, if you want to know where they are uh, we even have a young man in this community who's put together an app called food finder where you can go on and just say hey I'm located here how many food banks are close to me so do that look it up get the app and uh, plug into one of those and provides uh, volunteer support or financial support. That's the first step you could take. And as we develop our strategies, we'll be posting those and you can jump on any one of those too. Awesome. And I'm guessing it's a free app available on the Android store, Apple store. Apple store. Gotcha. Wow. Foodfinder.com. Foodfinder. You can find the app and put it on your phone and, and help us solve this issue. That's right. All right, moving on to Kim, we're going to talk about early learning, which if our listeners don't know, early learning is identified as children ages zero to five. And so, Kim, what's the issue in this area? So the issue is for people who love statistics, so 52% of children are entering kindergarten not ready for our curriculum. And so that was a number that was shocking. We developed a kindergarten readiness entry profile about four years ago in the school district to find out how our kids are doing when they come to us. So what skills do they have? What knowledge? What talents do they have when they enter kindergarten? Um, And that's where this number came from. And we're looking at the whole child. So we're looking at both their cognitive development as well as their social emotional development and looking at the whole child as they come into kindergarten. And it was a staggering number. 
to think that our children, you know, are coming to us not ready. And when they come to kindergarten not ready, we're seeing that trajectory of a child not reading proficiently on third grade. That's when children start reading for content. And so we're transitioning from learning how to read to being able to learn for content knowledge. Those uh, same children then are four to six times more likely to not graduate high school. And then they're on a trajectory to be unemployed and to require social services and those types of things. So it all starts really, really early. And one of the things I always like to, to say in these kinds of groups is that the science behind brain development has come so far in the last, I would say, decade. And we know now that a child, their brain development, so they're, we like to say brains are built, not born. And so when a child is born, those neural connections are being formed at a rate of a million per second. And 80% of it is formed by age three, and then 90% by age five. So when they get to kindergarten, already 90% of their brain has been formed. So we've got to start a lot earlier in how we're intervening and teaching our children in Gwinnett. And Kim, how many kids are there from zero to five? How many are entering your school system every year? So we have about 12,000 kindergartners every year. So that means there's over 60,000 children birth to five in Gwinnett. So only 50, you know, so 52% of those, about 34,000 kids are not coming to school ready. And that is countywide. It's not just one place in our county. We have every one of our elementary schools are seeing children in or not ready. So it's not dependent on age or socioeconomics. It's, it's across the board. It and, is across the board. It has everything to do with the child's experiences in their infant and toddler and three-year-old years. And so as a group, I, what, are, what are next steps? What are you guys doing to help with this issue? So a wonderful group of community members came together uh, over a year ago and formed the Early Learning Community Working Group. And that's a great group of people. Um, there are some in this room today, so we're definitely crossing our buckets of work, which is super important. But everything from the school district, the library system, United Way, the health department, faith-based organizations, nonprofits, legislators, um, school board members, and on and on and on. And so that group has been working diligently on creating an actual strategy around this issue. That strategy is essentially being completed as we speak and hopefully ready for publication in the next month. And we have now transitioned, um, as Dr. Rona was talking about, into action teams. So we formed action teams around our three main levers. So one being around messaging and awareness of this issue, um, which is part of what I'm doing today. The second one is around high quality programming and resources, making sure that our families have access to the things that they want and need in order to be their child's first best teacher. And then around a collective approach. So how are we gonna come together, share resources, share knowledge, share information in order to make that impact greater? Um, and so those action teams are about to get started on their individual group work. Great, and like I've asked our others so far, what can people do to get involved? And, and also tell, because I know we probably have some parents and grandparents listening, you know, what can they do with their kids to help? Right, so let me start with that one because it's gonna sound really simple when I say this. 
talk to your children. So talk to your babies, sing with them, read with them. It's really a low cost intervention. It's that two-way interaction. We like to call it a serve and return. So if you're playing tennis and you serve a ball across you know, the net, you want someone to hit it back to you. And that's what children's brains need. They need that ball to be served to them, then they respond. And babies we know don't respond with words, but they respond with, with um, looking at you, with babbling, with hand gestures, and that is their way of communicating. So engaging, just engaging with children all the time is the best thing that folks can do. Outside of that, just like has been said, it's the idea of time, treasure, and talent. So give your time to share the word, give your time to any of these various organizations and groups that are working on this issue. Treasure in terms of resources, if you have books to donate, if you have funds to donate, um, if you have time to donate, all of those types of things. And then talent, if you have a special talent that you think would be helpful in in battling this issue, then we would appreciate you coming on board. Great, good to know. So, so far we've talked about healthcare, we've talked about food insufficiency, we talked about early learning. And so let's wrap up and throw the ball to Matt Elder talking about homelessness. So Matt, tell us what does homelessness look like in Gwinnett? So homelessness in Gwinnett is a a wide spectrum of different people, individuals, families uh, that are in a number of different living situations. And when we talk about homelessness specifically in Gwinnett, what we're talking about is families that are staying in our extended stay hotels and motels that are either paying their own way or may have been put there by an agency or a local church or business as a de facto shelter system. Uh, there are people who are sleeping in their cars overnight in our 24-hour parking lots. There are people who are in encampments in the woods just a quarter mile or so off some of our main thoroughfares. And it's only been the last 24, 36 months that we've really seen what was previously a very hidden population become much more visible. Uh, and that's kind of where we've seen a lot of the push to be, begin to really want to address this. And we've seen great leadership here in the community from our from Chairman Nash and the Board of Commissioners and really helping to be a driving force behind that along with uh, obviously United Way Community Foundation and also the Primerica Foundation. Because what you're talking about there, Matt, is the difference between uh, suburban homelessness and urban homelessness. Because I've heard Jim Reeves from Atlanta Mission talk about, gosh, suburban homelessness, far more difficult to, to take care of versus urban. They see it, right? They, they see the people under the bridge. They see that, and they can go to work at it. Here, it's hidden, like you said. So you got to pull it out with the awareness and, and show it to the community so we can go to work at it. Because how many in the school system identify themselves as homeless? So just under 2,000 school children were self-identified as homeless according to the last report with the Department of Education. And Jim's absolutely right, Randy. You know, suburban homelessness is very different from uh, urban in terms of it's very much episodic. It's not chronic as it is much much more in the urban settings. And so it's harder for us to identify all the populations that may be existing at any given time. It's harder to provide services in all the places because of the sprawl that exists. It's not all concentrated in one part of a city or in certain areas of the town. The one advantage we do have, though, is that when homelessness is considered to be episodic, we have a very high likelihood of being able to address it and deter a family or individual around from be remaining homeless for a long period of time as long as we have facilities and we have options by which for them to get into programming. Right now, unfortunately, what we're facing is that we have a population that's easily in the thousands in terms of total people who are homeless, and so roughly about 50% of that are children under the age of 18, but we don't have any homeless shelters to help serve them. We don't have a lot of those stopgap measures you see in more t- traditional urban settings that we are looking to try and get out here to Gwinnett. So we're a population of a million people. There's very difficult to estimate homelessness, but your team is estimating it is like 10,000 from there and we have no emergency shelter so if we left this 
conversation today, got out in our car and we saw a homeless person. There's not a shelter available within a community of a million people in one of the richest counties in the country to take care of that family. We actually export them to Atlanta and the Atlanta mission or something, something like that. Yeah, for traditional shelter stays, we do have some ability to get people into other facilities that are around the region. Um, here in Gwinnett, though, a lot of our wonderful partners like the Cooperative Ministries, Salvation Army, Viewpoint Health, will utilize our extended stay hotels and motels as almost a de facto shelter system. There are pluses and minuses to that kind of a concept. The plus is that you get somebody out of the woods, out of their car, and into a place where they can have heat and a bed and a roof over their head. Um, but the negatives is that they're not always the safest or the most secure places. We have multiple reports, and we've seen that here throughout this county, of illicit activities that have occurred there, whether it's sex trafficking of prostitution or violent crimes and we have children that are being exposed to that unfortunately and so if there's nothing else that we're able to do it's that we would like to be able to make sure that we make if not an end to that practice but at least a, in a very long-term and lasting impact on ending that de facto system so matt what's in the works to help with this yeah so Thankfully, what we will leave here today, and if we were an encounter somebody's homeless, we don't have a shelter. In March of this year, we'll be opening up the Norcross Assessment Center, which will be a assessment center for a brand new response system to address homelessness. And Home First Gwinnett is kind of uh, in charge of that process in which we are bringing people in who are in need of housing and serving as a navigation, uh, a navigator to allow them to get connected to the, to the providers who have the housing on the ground already as, as is available. So right now, if you're homeless, you'll call uh, United Ways 211 or the Coalition's Helpline. You'll get a number of different agencies to try and call to get homeless services at, but there's not a lot of we're not aware if there's a bed available at that, at that agency, if they have any money, or if they may even be open, because not every agency is open all the business days of the week. So with what Home First is doing, we'll be able to know what every bed is available in Gwinnett at any given time, and we'll be able to go ahead and fill those beds for our partner agencies and put the people in them who qualify for their services. Uh, that way, if you have one bed available, you don't get a 1,000 calls for it. Uh, you're going to get that one direct referral to make sure we get that person in there. Uh, in addition to that, we are going to have a 20-bed shelter on site for women and children. Uh, that's single women and women with children as well. Uh, that will be the only 20 beds that are available for literally homeless individuals in Gwinnett County. And then we're also going to have some on-site health care services as well as a partnership to try and help the overall community. And we just talked about that at the Nonprofit Academy. Uh, Dr. Greg Lang and Good Sam are going to be bring, coming in to provide a primary care quick clinic. Viewpoint Health will be on to provide diagnostic mental health services, and they have a full counseling center less than a mile away from that. And then Navigate Recovery is going to come out and do, do uh, substance abuse services on site as well. Uh, so we're really excited about that comprehensive model, what it can mean not only to the people we're serving from a homeless perspective, but to the overall community in that 30093 zip code. Wow. So 20 beds for 1,000 homeless people. I mean, that's a start, but that's we need a whole lot more. So how can people jump in and help? First is that that is a drop in the proverbial bucket, but that is the first of what we hope will be five total facilities spread across the entire county. We know that we need to beat people in place. People who deal with poverty and homelessness traditionally have some mobility limitations, and we need to be able to provide services in the places where they're currently at to get them you know, stabilized onto the next step down towards self-sufficiency. In terms of people helping, we will have a litany of volunteer opportunities at our facility once we're open. We'll be posting all those on our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram accounts. We'd love to have people be a part of that facility, be a part of the service we're providing. Uh, and of course, you know, there's always going to be a need for donations, whether that is the, the time of somebody just spending some time with us as a volunteer, their expertise, which could be as valuable as any, as any check somebody can write. But we do accept, you know, check, cash, crypto. Randy said he could clear all that for us. <laughs> and also, you know, right, working sure. on that Bitcoin. <laughs> it, you know. But I mean, those are opportunities that we're going to be posting all of our social media accounts as we get open in March and really just want to be an, a true asset to the community that we're in and make sure that the community, is, we're able to feel the love and support from the community as much as we're trying to give the love and support to the people we're serving on a day in and day out basis. Because everybody around the table is going to be 
have visibility or people that are homeless are going to walk into our healthcare system, right? Absolutely. At our hospital, at one of our clinics, stuff like that. They're in our school system, right? You guys are going to see see those folks. They're going to walk in, Bill, to our cooperative ministry system, right? And they're going to need some food, but boy, then they're going to find out they're homeless. And then that's how we start to play this connect the dot game all the way around. So all these resources can lift at one time this individual and this family you're right randy we have a committee that's working on that very issue of, of one point of entry so that when they move into coming to matt's organization then we're we're in the same system and we can then take them into the shelter with matt shelter and at the same time lead them to the food that they greatly need and the health services and uh, we'll find ways to tie into the education system yeah, I think the one thing that we've all been able to see very clearly from almost day one was that the older way of designing solutions within silos to address very specific problems has not been working. And so with the four of us leading up these different issues, we've been very collaborative in the approach of talking to each other about what we've been seeing and learning about what we're doing within our own initiatives, but also to try and talk about what the appeal or what things can be brought across those uh, silos to make sure that the solutions are comprehensive, that we're not just looking at answers symptomatically, but we're looking at them comprehensively. And so I know that from a homeless perspective, you know, whether it's food, it's education, early education specifically, and also healthcare clearly, uh, we'll have to have all those things to truly get down to the root cause and to solve these issues fundamentally, uh, as opposed to just, you know, solving it and kicking the can down the road to be a problem another day. So we've spread some awareness today about the issues that we have going on in our community. Also some encouragement that we've got great people working behind the scenes to take action and, and help solve some of these problems. So thank you all for participating in our panel, helping us wrap up our very first nonprofit academy. Just a reminder, the Community Foundation, everything we do here centers around one purpose, which is improving our world through the power of philanthropy by connecting people who care with causes that matter. So to learn more about the Community Foundation for Northeast Georgia and our nonprofit academy, visit our website, www.cfneg.org. You can also view upcoming education events there and sign up for them. I'm Heather Leverage, Chief Storyteller for the Community Foundation for Northeast Georgia. Thanks so much for joining us.